0: If you can grab your Bibles, we're going to be reading out of Ephesians today, chapter 4, in verse 11. So if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles back there. Um, I'm sure my lovely assistant, wherever he is, Greg Burkhart, Uh, if you'd like a Bible, one of the guys can get you on. But we'd love for you to have a Bible uh, to be able to, to, to dig in with us here today. So Paul's writing in Ephesians, to the Ephesians, and he says this, And he gave the apostles by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Jesus, I so need your help today. Everyone in here, we need your help to grasp the truth of your word. God, I pray that you would allow me through the power of your spirit today to be able to take the things that you have taught me and be able to articulate to the body this morning. Father, I beg you that as I teach them, they would be with your authority. And that, Father, those that are out there, would you please give ears to hear and hearts that are open to receive the truth of what you're going to be telling us out of your word today. Father, thank you for allowing us to be here. We don't deserve to be here. And so thank you so much. We ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. All right, now you can sit down. <clears throat> well, here's what we've been doing. If, uh, if you haven't been around or if you're even kind of forget, forgetting why we've been, what we've been going through, we've been going through membership and what membership is as far as being in a local church and being a part of a local church. That's kind of where we've been going. And so the first week what I did is I outlined, I didn't necessarily dive into this idea of what is membership. Instead, I wanted you to understand who you are first and foremost in Christ. Is that before you see yourself as your identity inside of this body, I think it's important to develop first your identity and who who you are in Christ. And we talked about this, that one of the most important things any of us can pursue is this idea of truly knowing God. And so with that, what we meant by that is that from the very beginning, when God created man and woman, placed them in the garden, the whole goal of it was is that they would be this group of people that authentically and intimately knows God. And all the way to the very end, we talked about this in Matthew 7, that the mark of those that, that truly are Jesus', the mark of those that will enter into his kingdom are those in which Jesus looks at them and says, I know you. And so we really wanted to lay that out as this idea of what we're trying to accomplish when we understand membership. And then we move from that, is that not only do we now need to know Jesus, not only is He calling us to know Him, but now He is then sending us out in a unique way where Jesus isn't present so that others might know Him. And we're to join Jesus in what He's doing. So when we talk about membership now, not only do we know Him, but the idea is that we would join Him in making Him known, not only in Simi Valley, but the idea is, when He talks about it in Acts 1.8, that Judea, Samaria, and the idea then He even goes to is the ends of the world. Then the next week, what Josh did is he came in and he really laid out this idea that while there's this global church that God is doing an amazing work in all over the world, that the New Testament, while it speaks of that global church, intends for you to get intimately involved in a local church. So you're not just a member of this this grander concept of what God's doing. That's kind of this invisible world that we all live in. But just as important as this, this grand world is also the visible place where you live. That You're called to live the gospel out with real people, not these people that may, you might know on the other side of the planet. You're called to dive into the lives of other people. And he gave us a definition that I really appreciated. He just said, look, membership in a local church is the acknowledgement... That we're going to manifest, we're going to make known our membership in the global body of Christ by participating with this particular church or a local church to display and declare Christ's rule. And so that's what he walked through. And that's the goal of Cornerstone, right? When you look about it, when you go out on our purpose statement, it says that reality that the goal of of, of what we're trying to do is to give every person an accurate picture of God. Now the way by which we do that, we'd say afterwards, is, is by helping you and helping those who believe to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. So the next week, I talked about this idea of the privileges of being involved in membership. I talked about the idea that one of the privileges is you get to know and join God in what He's doing. Sometimes I don't think we realize what a privilege that is to join Him in what He's doing, to truly have your life about the correct purpose. But then with that then comes this idea of the privilege to commit yourself to people. To get your eyes off of yourself and onto uh, not only Jesus Christ, but to get your eyes onto other people trusting that God has me and I'm able to now commit myself to others because the other privilege is is that also church membership is this group of people then that are committed to you. What an amazing thought that when Jesus Christ designed His church, not only were we to know Him, but now this idea is, is that we can be this group of people where others are committed to me and my family, praying for me, knowing me, watching out for me, because then at the end of it, we talked about this, that God's main goal in your life is not just to save you, but to transform you. He wants to make it different. And all these people, the goal is is that what Jesus is doing through all of them is to come into your life so that you won't be the same person the day you came to know Christ as the day now where you are today. That's God's goal, is this transformation of who you are. Now with that then, where we're going to be going today is we're going to be looking at this idea then, if there's privileges, right? I don't know if you remember, but I think, is it American Express where it talks about membership has its privileges? Have you ever wondered why they don't say membership has its responsibilities? That's in fine print, isn't it? And it's just, that's the part where after you haven't paid your bill for, you know, two, three months, that's when all of a sudden responsibility goes, hello. Well, I want to not make responsibility the small print. What I want to do today is I want to make it the big print. Because I think responsibility is not a bad thing, it's a great thing. Now, with responsibility, though, I want to give you a definition so that you understand what I mean by responsibility. Okay, this is going to be my main point. I'm just going to leave it up there so you just soak in it today. Is that this is the key? God bases our responsibilities as members of a local church out of his undying, all encompassing commitment to us. In other words, My commitment or my responsibility to the church is wholeheartedly based out of the fact that God Himself, in His complete triunity as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in an undying, all encompassing way, is committed to you. Now, that's huge. And what we're going to try to do is we're going to take that that concept up there. We're going to be looking in the book of Ephesians and some other places to help us understand that what he's trying to allow us to to see is is that this, this relationship then we're going to talk about between the leaders of a church and the church, the people of the church and its leaders, and then just the church itself, how does this help us then to understand what are my responsibilities? And we're going to build it out of that. So here's my first thing that I'm going to go at today in regards to this is that when we talk about the responsibilities of of membership, we have to understand that God is in this with us. He's in it with us. And so the reason I started way back like I did in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 is that Paul is laying out this grand concept that you are not alone. He is actually in this with you. Now, when my wife had the audacity to leave me last weekend... All alone with two children, and they got stomach flu. I just want you to know that. I had to go into my son's room and help him clean up. Now my son is a professional mess maker, professional. And I come in there and I look at his room, and I do what I think a lot of dads did: is I said, "Josiah, get over here." And he comes, what, Dad? What, 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 what? You know, what I mean? and I go, look at your room. And he goes, what? Seriously? Now, listen to me, Josiah. I want you to get in here, and you've got 15 minutes to get your room cleaned up. Yeah, right. And so I walked away, and I'm sitting there just so frustrated, and I'm thinking, that boy better get his room cleaned up. And I come back, and I set my timer, and my timer goes, dee, dee, dee. he hears me coming down the hallway even with me coming down the hallway when I get there he's playing not picking up seriously bro 6'2, 220 42 inches 10 pounds you know whatever you are I can squash you like a grape what's up dad All of a sudden, I remembered something. Maybe, Dad, you should join him on the floor. So I jumped down on the floor, and I looked at him, and I'm on my knees, and I'm in front of him. I go, dude, I think I can clean up faster than you. He goes, no way. (laughs) We start cleaning up like crazy, and I'm pulling Jedi mind tricks on him. and, And, you know, here we go, and we're cleaning up, and we get done. And in that, and this is what I want you to get, God is not the first example of poor parenting that I did. He's the second example. See, too often what we do is we see God like this, as this one that says, I'm leaving, and when I leave here, I expect this thing to be cleaned up when I come back. And if you don't do it, there's going to be consequences, which there are consequences. I'm not trying to diminish them. But the thing that we miss is that when Jesus Christ laid out the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18, He said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Me. All the authority of everything that there is. Therefore, I want you, as you are going, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And the part we tend to leave off is what? And lo, I am with you always. Always. He's in it with us. See, this is the beauty of our responsibility, what I'm talking about. His undying and all-encompassing commitment to us is that Jesus Christ demonstrated that when He came to earth and took on flesh, when He then left and left His Spirit for us, meaning God didn't just leave and said, I'm coming back, I expect it to be done. He is with us right now. He's committed to us. The whole New Testament lays out His commitment to us. And so with it now, this is where our security is based. It's based on security. It's based on love. Because I think at the core end of it, it is very difficult to go all in for Christ when you're not convinced that He's all in for you. See, that's what Paul wants us to get. You may not be all in, but Christ is all in on this. He's in it not only then, but He's in it to the end. And I believe people will never put themselves in the line past what they believe Jesus will put himself on the line. In other words, this idea is, at the core of it, do I really believe that Jesus will support me to the end? Can I trust that? That's why Jesus, when he laid out this idea in John 14, he said, look, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm here for you. John 15, just like the Father loves me in that perfect love, I love you. That's why he left his Holy Spirit. That's why in John 15, he also called us friends. He doesn't want just the the service of slave. He wants the intimacy of friends. And that's what he kept telling these guys. In this relationship that we're going to share together underneath the new covenant, I'm in it with you. Because he knew at the core of it, and you know all the things that Jesus taught, he was going to call them to say no to a lot of stuff in this world, tons of stuff in this world. And he was going to ask them to commit themselves to him. They were going to give up their dreams. They were going to give up their goals. And if they didn't believe that at the end of it, Jesus was all in there with them, these guys would have never left. And I believe at the core of who I am, you will never ever take up your cross and follow Jesus until at your gut you believe He's done the same. And so that's this idea of what we're talking about in membership. When we talk responsibility, we're talking about this, this undying, all-encompassing commitment to us. It's radical. It's assuring. It's huge. God is our God. He's our Father, and we're our kids. He's there on the floor with us. His commitment to us should fuel us. It should drive us to do things. But what happens is, and this is what's key to this, and this is why I want you to get it, is that if we don't see God in that way, we will start to then serve Him out of weird motives. Does that make sense? So in other words, if I really don't believe He's in it for me, if I really don't believe He has me at the end, then what's going to happen is that I will then try to serve Him constantly trying to seek His approval. Let me just make sure you understand this. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because of the work of Jesus, you have the full approval of the Father. You don't have to try to earn the approval. You live in His approval. Not only that, but this idea is then if I'm not careful, then what I'll do is I'll start living for self-preservation. I fear what's going to happen at the end, and so therefore I start to live my life thinking, oh, I don't know if he's really got me at the end. And a lot of people that teach this idea that I can lose my salvation, this is what you're ripping away from people. He kind of has me. He might have me. Oh my gosh, his dependence on whether he has me or not is based upon me. Oh, what a terrible way to live. Those that know Jesus and walk with Jesus, he says, I want you to live in this undying, all-encompassing commitment. That's what Jesus is about. Now, the other thing about this that's so key is that what Jesus is after also is not just our obedience. He's not wanting just, just to do good. He wants us to want to do good. I think sometimes what happens is, is we live in that world where we're like, okay, I should do good. But what Jesus is seeking to do is not just modify our behavior, but everything about the New Testament. This is what I'm talking about. This undying, all-consuming commitment to us has everything to do with what he wants to do. is to transform us away from this idea of I should do good to where I want to do good. I want to join him. And so that's the commitment that he made. In fact, you can see this all throughout the Bible is that when God makes commitments, they're sometimes called covenants where they're these commitment to you. So in other words, with, with Noah, he made a commitment that I will never bring water on the earth in that way again. And he gave him a rainbow to Abraham he said he walked between two animals that were dead between with uh, when you have Moses he stood up there with the law in front of the people and said I will make this commitment to you with David and Solomon he built a temple and gave him a throne there's just all these ways in which God signs his name on the dotted line and says to people over and over again I've got you I am all in and with Then, in our case, the new covenant, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, was raised from the tomb, and was ascended to the Father, and then we were given the Holy Spirit, he said, I got you. I've got you. I'm all in. And now with us, the reason we're going to call what we're going to do together, this membership, we're going to call it a covenant. There's all kinds of different ways that are covenants. There's eternal covenants, conditional covenants, even temporary covenants. But the idea is is we're going to commit to one another. Why are we going to commit? We're going to commit out of this idea of his all undying, all-encompassing commitment to us. That's what we're going to do. And so with that in mind also, now let me kind of walk it through. This is how then it's going to play out in regards to that and how leaders come to bear on the church body. How is it that leaders live out of this reality of an undying, all-encompassing commitment? And here's the key. Look at Ephesians 4.11. you got your Bibles open. And this is what we're talking about. Verse 11. See those first three words? And he what? Gave. Here's what's cool about it. No leader was ever put in position that was a leader that God wanted because the church saw them. It's because God put them there. That's key. He gave. This is what I'm talking about, this undying, all-encompassing commitment. He then gives these guys. Now go with me to Acts. Keep your finger in Ephesians and go with me to Acts 6. We can kind of see this first idea of a group of leaders that are given to the church and what marks these guys is really key. Look at Acts 6 verse 3 The apostles knew that they needed to appoint new leaders within the church. And so in verse 3 it says therefore brothers it says i want you to pick from among you seven men of good repute look at this and here's the key to them full of the spirit and what wisdom Now with this, what he's trying to convey is is that these were men that were convinced of this. If you remember last week when we talked about this idea of freedom, I said this idea of keeping in step with the Spirit has to do with this reality of faith. This idea that we believe wholeheartedly in the promises of God. That to keep in step with the Spirit, to to keep moving, is to stay in this place of faith where we keep believing that who He says He is, He really is, and I can trust my life to Him. And so the mark of leaders, and you're going to see this all throughout the New Testament, is they honestly believe that this God that they're serving, and the reason that they do what they do, is they believe in an undying, all-encompassing God that is committed to them. Out of their life, as they were full of spirit and wisdom, they really believed this reality about who God is and what He does. They believe in His security, His safety, His goodness, His love. He knew that God. They knew that God was radical towards them, and they lived their life that way. Not only that, but they demonstrated what we learned last week that as they kept in step with the Spirit, Galatians five sixteen, they then did something real important they started to learn what it meant to not now gratify the desires of my sinful nature. They weren't enslaved by anything. They weren't enslaved by what we talked about last week, immoralism. They weren't enslaved by moralism. They were instead, in a beautiful way, enslaved to God. They just loved God and were passionate about God. And so the 12 said to them, this is the kind of guy that I want to be a leader. Now what's happened sometimes is we say, no leader's who they are. They're men that live to a higher standard. Let me tell you something. Any higher standard that's outside of Scripture will lead to men that are moralists that lead you the wrong way. We don't live to a higher standard, we live to the standard. That's it. These guys were men that knew the Word, that were in the Word, that loved God. Even then later on in First, or First Timothy 3, we're going to learn that there's also these people called deacons, not only elders, but deacons and deaconesses that were transformed by the gospel. In other words, you could look at their life and what came out of their life was a reality of them being transformed by the gospel, the spirit being in their life. They were truly people that at the end of it believed in the all undying, all-encompassing commitment of God to them. In fact, the way the writer of Hebrews talked about it when you get into 13.7 is he said, I want you to consider the outcome of these people's way of life and I want you to follow them because they are people that get the gospel. They get this. And so he says, those leaders, those are the ones I want you to follow. Now with it then, to understand who this servant leader is, go with me to Acts 20. Let me kind of give you a few more things about this leader before I kind of tell you what they're committed to. So Acts 20. Look at verse 28. You can see this again. I love this. Who are these people? They're men who pay a careful attention to themselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Look at this. Which he obtained with his own blood not only do they get that their blood-bought, but as they look over a group of people that are followers of Jesus Christ, they understand that they're blood-bought. Your value, let me tell you this, your value, if you're a follower of Jesus, is that you were bought with the blood of Christ. You were bought in this undying, all-encompassing way. He went all the way. And so as leaders, not only do they have the lenses in their own life, but he's like, watch not only your own life and make sure you understand this, but as you look out of a group of people, you need to help them live in this reality as blood-bought people that are now these ones that are bought and purchased by the very blood of Jesus Christ. Paul also talks about it like in 1 Corinthians 3. Keep your, by the way, keep it there in Acts 20. We're going to come back there. But Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians 3. That's why he said, those of you that are leaders, be so careful how you build this. Do you get the people that are yours? He even then kind of carried it on when you're going to see this the way he talks about it uh, later on. Uh, He then lays out also this idea that not only are they this unique blood-bought ones, but in Hebrews 13, the writer of that says that one day these leaders, it's so important that they're going to be held accountable. Therefore, when we look out over us, the leader has these eyes to see that every person in here is precious and the caring for them is serious. Let me say this. The elders of the church, while we may not be perfect, this is our heart. You commit yourself to this church. You choose to be a part of this church. And by the grace of God, we hope to never forget, you are precious to God. You're more precious than gold. You're more precious than silver. You're more precious than anything. You all that know Jesus Christ are blood bought. And so the commitment then, when we talk about membership, is that. Now, don't think somehow now I'm this martyr that you know it's like oh I'm such a good person for doing this because at the very end of it in First or First Peter five it says by doing this Todd you will actually lay up for yourself a crown. I get a reward for this, so don't think at the end of it it's like oh that Todd he's such a martyr wow you kidding me i live in the reality in the role that i play just like the rest of you but i live in this reality that at the very end i have an undying and all-encompassing father that's committed to me to the very end not only that when paul is finishing his life he said i fought the good fight i finished the race now what's laid up for me is this crown of righteousness a crown of vindication." And so with this, this is what's key. Leaders see God's undying and all-encompassing commitment to them. And then what they do is out of that, they begin to serve others radically. We serve others even at a great expense. And let me tell you something. That's what I want to do. That's what I want the leaders of Cornerstone to be. Whether you're a shepherd that oversees a community, whatever you might do is that you live out of that reality. And so therefore, the covenant that we need to make, that the leaders of Cornerstone will make to you as we walk through this, that the Bible calls us to, is that first and foremost, that we will be, and here's the first one, men of the word. At the very end of it, who Cornerstone has been, continues to be, and I pray will always be, is a people of the book. No matter when we want to hear it or we don't want to hear it according to 2 Timothy 4, at the end of it, this is God's instruction to us so that we can know this undying, all-encompassing commitment of the Father. Is that that's one of the things we're going to commit to you as leaders of this church is that we will maintain ourselves as men of the Word, that we will never forget that we need the Word just as much as the rest of you. A couple years ago, I had to totally change things in my own life because I realized I was studying the Bible not for me, but for you. Oh, what a travesty. You kidding me? God give me His Word so that I would nourish on Him and know Him. And I was sitting in the Bible going, oh, that'll be good for them. Dang. <laughs> that preach is good. <laughs> no. We are men desperate for the Word. Not only that, then out of that, I hope you kept your finger in Acts 20. But in verse 27, Paul starts to lay out to the elders of Ephesus a clear idea then of this commitment to know this all-encompassing God is that we can't just know part of God. We can't just know partial aspects of Him. Look at verse 27. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That's why we tend to kind of stay away from topical discussion, not that topical is bad, but the idea of why we teach methodically through the Scriptures is is because I want to make sure I don't decide what you want to hear, but instead in teaching through the Scriptures, God begins to decide what we need to hear so that we get the whole counsel of God. It's why in a few weeks, and I can't wait for this, we're going to be teaching through uh, the Minor Prophets. Uh, One guy came up to me and he goes, man, the minor prophets, man, you're going to preach the minor prophets and leave us all wounded and go on your sabbatical? We need to hear what the minor prophets had to say. We need to hear that. And so with it, it's to teach the whole counsel of God because we truly believe at the end of it that the Holy Spirit is going to take the Scriptures that are in front of us and transform our lives. And I need to know everything about it. If I'm going to truly know this undying, all-encompassing commitment of God, I need to know the whole Scriptures. But not only that, look at verse 29 in Acts 20. And if you can just imagine Paul looking at these elders, I know that after my departure... Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So the other commitment is, is not only that we would be people of the book, that we'd be men of the book, that we would teach you the whole counsel of God, but that we would equip and train you because I promise you out there are false teachers seeking to draw you away from the pure sincerity of the word. Not only that, here's what's crazy. He says, even from what? Among you. And to be diligent about that and to know God and to protect you from ever getting swayed away into false doctrine or false teaching, things that people want to hear. Paul talks about it in 2 Timothy, truly just sticking to the word. So that we might be, and go back to Galatians or to Ephesians 4. Look what I'm talking about. Look at verse 14. He says, I want you to teach this way, verse 14. Ephesians 4, 14. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, by deceitful schemes. In other words, watch out. But not only that, but the reason that we want to do that is because at the end of the day, we believe that when Jesus Christ left, he called us to make disciples. He's in there with us and He's joining us. But if it if we get to the very end of all this and we have this church that's exciting and we sing good songs and we clap a lot and we do crazy things and we don't make disciples, then Jesus says, you failed. Because that's what He's called us to do. And so now we get to equip and strengthen and encourage. And so one of the things that we as elders need to be able to do is to come alongside of you, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to exhort you. But even with it at times also, this word of admonish or confront. You want us to do these things in your life, the Bible says, because in it, that's what protects you. But then the last one is this. I was in 1 Samuel 12 the other day, probably about four weeks ago, and I'm reading along through 1 Samuel 12, and there's Samuel, and he's talking to the people, and he says this statement as a shepherd and a leader of Israel. Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. See, the other commitment that you'll have from us out of this idea of an undying, all-encompassing commitment, this church is not my church. This church is not the elders' church. This church is Jesus' church. And so the elders are going to make a commitment, and we might fail, I get it, but a commitment to constantly come before the Lord and say, Father, what do you want to do with this church? This is yours. But to also pray for you at different times. When you come to James 14, you get to pray, or uh, James 14, James 5, verse 14. Just go with me. Do you laugh, Scott? Out. I was reading Proverbs about a mocker. Go. You get up here and speak. But it's just this idea right out of James 5, not only that, but when you're at your lowest of low, the elders come in and intercede on your behalf in front of the Father. It's important with that. Now, let me switch it a little bit now. Is that because of this, the reason that the elders need to do it is we must never forget of this all-encompassing, undying commitment first to us is that we can serve radically because of that. But then what the Bible calls you to do in Hebrews 13, now go there with me because I want you to see this so you don't think I'm lying to you. Hebrews 13. Look at verse 17. Verse 17. Leaders now are going to put themselves on the line because of God's undying and all-encompassing commitment to them. But now he's going to call the rest of the church body to put themselves out there on the line because of his undying and all-encompassing commitment. And he's going to then call the body to obey your leaders and to submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now we hear words of obey and submission and we're like, ooh, I don't like that. But in the text, actually, the writer of Hebrews says, this is why you need to love it. It's because these are the guys that are watching over your soul. And don't make it a pain in the neck. Now, with it, in the same way now with us, we're to, to, to as leaders now to put our necks on the line because of this and we can trust God, and he calls us now to do it not out of compulsion, not because we feel like we have to, but because we want to. Is the idea now out of this is when it comes to obedience and submission, is this idea that I want to follow these particular group of men. I want to. I've seen their lives. I've I've watched how they've lived and and so because of it now the submission is an agreeableness to say these are the ones that I want to fall in line behind. And if this is the church you don't want to fall behind, if these are the leaders you don't want to fall behind, then I would say let us help you find a group of leaders because you need leaders that are watching over your souls. I'm not saying we're the best you know club on the planet. But with it, at the end of it, the commitment that we are making to you is to watch over your souls and the commitment we're asking you to do is to be agreeable to your elders. Walk with us. In fact, I challenge you, and some of you do it great, some of you not so good. Make our job joyful because it's good for you. Now what that doesn't mean, let me be clear on this. That doesn't mean in submission that somehow the, you, the elders are not to be questioned i want to be super clear on that some of you have come out of churches in which elders think they're above being questioned that's not the case in first timothy 5 it talks about this that if there's ever a charge that needs to come against an elder for two or three people in 5 19 through 20 they're to actually come and bring a charge against the elder it's a serious thing not only that, but in Acts 17, Paul, or yeah, Paul is coming to the Bereans, a, a town called Berea, and he comes in and he's preaching the Word. And one of the things that he talks about in 1711 is they received the Word with all eagerness. They were agreeable to it, but that didn't mean they didn't examine the Scriptures daily to see if what was saying was so. See, I need for you all to call me on it when we're not living by the book. I've had people email me at different points and say, hey dude, I think you missed it. And I look down and I'm like, ooh, I missed it. I'm not perfect. The other elders aren't perfect. But in coming to us, though, is this idea of agreeableness. I'm agreeable to it. Now with that, then, this idea is, is that we would put ourselves on the line, this, this, this all, undying, all, all-encompassing commitment that God makes to us. I can put myself on the line for you, and you can put yourself on the line for me because we have a God that has us. I can do that. Now go back to Ephesians 5. Let me, let me, let me keep going. So the first one is this, how this applies to leaders, to the church. The next one is how it applies to church, to the leaders. And now this is the key in which how does this apply just inside of the church to all of us? Look at Ephesians 5, verse 21. Here's our word that we got just a second ago, this idea of submission. Watch this. Not only do you to submit to leaders, but we're actually to submit to one another out of reverence. The idea of submission out of one another to reverence means is that now you are called to commit yourselves. So when we talk membership, the reason that we have pushed ourselves towards this idea of membership is we believe wholeheartedly that the Bible calls us to commit ourselves to one another radically. Out of this all-encompassing, undying commitment God has made to us, we're to make an all-encompassing, undying commitment to one another. Does that mean we're going to do it perfectly? No. God writes into the text of Scripture an understanding that we are not going to do it perfectly But the goal behind the body that as I commit myself to this is that the body comes alongside so that we might truly be this people that live out this reality. In fact, I would say this, and I wrote it down so I could say it exactly how I want to do it. You can now serve without expecting anything in return because you know that God has you. And by the way, it's not if others fail us, but when they fail us, And it's only when others fail us that we learn God's undying and all-encompassing love in the midst of others. I never learn how unfailing He is until I fail others or others fail me. And so this commitment that we're making to one another, just so you come in with your eyes wide open, we are going to fail you. You are going to fail us. That's why I have a God that will never fail us. And he's seeking to do an amazing work in which he's transforming us and making us into less and less failures by his grace. Now with that then, if that's the key, then what is it that then is all of our church's responsibility? Here's the first one. The responsibility then of a church, if we're to know that God, means that with everything that we are, we need to pursue a close, close relationship with Jesus Christ through reading of the Bible, through prayer, through being in fellowship with Jesus Christ through His Spirit. We need to do that. One of the things that we're going to call you to do as a member of Cornerstone, and if you need to be equipped to be able to do this, uh, Christian's back there. Christian, wave your hand. One of the responsibilities... <laughs> that was really good. one of the responsibilities of Christian and he's just a phenomenal teacher in this way is to make sure that if you need help being equipped how to do this how to get into a near and dear relationship with Jesus we want to provide for you in the fall a way to be able to do this so in other words we're not just going to call you to the responsibility we believe it's the job of the church to equip you to do it and so Christian's going to be working on different ways in which we can help you to truly be able to, to, to grow in intimacy with Jesus now here's the deal is that when, and not if you struggle with this, you hear me? It's not if, but when you struggle with this, you are committing to seek the help of others in the church. Too often what we do is we struggle in our intimacy with Jesus Christ and we then go off and try to pretend like it's not the case. We need each other. We're desperate for each other. And so if and when you lose that intimacy with Jesus, you will make a commitment that I will ask others to help me to be able to do this. And by the way, one of the things that we love to do, there's a group of guys that struggled with their intimacy with Jesus Christ and knowing Him and walking with Him. And one guy left for work at like 5.30 in the morning, and so we would meet like almost every morning at 4.30. I don't plan to do that ever again. (laughs) But that's how committed this church is to it. We want you to have an intimacy with Jesus Christ. But not only that, by God's grace then, you will learn to walk in step with the Spirit and in holiness. That you are also making a commitment to learn what it means. In other words, I'm not expecting you to know exactly how to walk in step with the Spirit. But you as a member of this church will learn And make a commitment to learn what it means to keep in step with the Spirit, to pursue holiness. This idea of being set apart for God as an act of worship who saved you radically from your sin and now appointed you to a, a purpose and a place inside the body. And here's the key again. When you fail, not if you fail, the commitment that we make to one another as a church is that we will confess our sin to one another. And we have lost the art of confession of sin, haven't we? Just that ability to come before one another and say, you know what, your junk stinks and my junk stinks and man, could you help me walk through this because I have sinned against a holy God. Help me. And then the body coming alongside of you and helping you to eradicate that sin that's in your life. In fact, I would say this. Those of you that have ongoing sin that you're continuing to struggle with, probably you are continuing to struggle with it because you are doing it in private. You will never deal with the ongoing sin you have till it comes to the surface and others walk with you. But not only that... That means then you need to commit yourself to a relationship with the church. It requires participation. And so in other words, it's not just showing up on a Sunday. It's actually then joining in what we're doing in multiple ways, serving. We're constantly asking the body for help with the kids' ministry. Can I just say this? I would love it if today a bunch of you said, huh, kids' ministry. I'll go help with kids' ministry. I would hug each and every one of you that do. Not because I don't think it will be a master. Not because I think somehow we need your help. I actually think it's because you don't understand the blessing that it will be to go over there and to pour your life into our kids. Man, there is nothing more sanctifying than having my son in your class. You want to be close to Jesus? Teach the kindergartners. You will draw near to Jesus. But to dive in in all kinds of ways to our body, get out there, making a commitment to be there and participate in communities. Dive out there in what God's called you to do. But not only that, and I want to be crystal clear about this one. There's this idea within the church called church discipline. Now, in it, what it means is is that when we see a brother or sister in sin, we will come after you, not come after you. Read, read. <laughs> That's not a (laughs) bad pitchforks. Here we come. No, we'll come after you because we love you. Oftentimes, we talk about oh, you know, they they took somebody and moved them outside of the church. Let me tell you something in love, we have moved people outside of this church not because of any other thing that we believe that in First Corinthians 5 it talks about, that when a person's in sin and they just won't repent of their sin and others have gone to them and begged them to repent of their sin, that the best thing you can do is turn this person, it says, over to the most powerfully created being ever, Satan himself. Why? Because we're mean? No, because it's said so that it might be restoration and forgiveness of sins. But we've also not only lost the art of confession, we've lost the art of confrontation. We kind of are like this thing where it's like, well, I'm going to stay out of this person's business. What are you talking about? Can I just tell you, I want y'all in my business. I need you in my business. Why? Because I want to be like Jesus Christ. Now that does mean first and foremost that you need to remove the plank from your eye before you see the speck in my eye. Oftentimes you come in with the big old plank and go, bro, I've got some things to talk to you. Kunk, konk. <laughs> I think there's a speck in your eye and I'm like... There's a log, and you're, you know, it's just this thing. Which Really? There's a process that the Bible lays out that we're not supposed to avoid confrontation. That this idea is is that out of God's undying and all-encompassing commitment to us, God's not afraid to confront us, so therefore what? We shouldn't be afraid to confront one another. And the last thing is this and this, is that you will steward your resources God has given you, your time, your talents, your resources, your treasure, that you'll give of yourself. That you will become like God is in our life, this idea of an undying, all-encompassing God, and give of yourself. Go for it. And give your resources. Give your treasure. Get out there and trust God with what He's given you. Give of your time, your energy, your effort. And the cool part about this is, and this is the last thing, God hasn't called us to this just so that we can be this nice clean group of people. Let me repeat what I said earlier in the service. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Therefore, as you're going, make disciples. 1 Peter 2.9 says that we are this amazing group of people. We're a royal priesthood, a chosen nation, a people for God's own possession that we might declare the excellencies of God to a lost and a dying world. We're not just trying to be clean and holy and fit together like we're fitting together because we're bored. God has called us to impact our world. <laughs> Yesterday I was out and I was just eating lunch. We live in a lost world. Gosh, I sat there at McDonald's, no wonder it's lost. (laughs) We have a job to do, but it's based upon his undying, all-encompassing commitment to us that we can go out to others and proclaim to them the greatest message ever of Jesus Christ. That the last commitment we have, the last responsibility we have is to make sure that in our city, in our region, around the world, the greatest message ever is being proclaimed to the world. And by the way, we're not just going to ask you to do it. If you need to be equipped to do it, we will equip you to be able to do this. And by the way, still to this day, after sharing my faith for 20 years, I still get scared as I share my faith. It's not like I sit there with these undying, all-encompassing commitments and go, that's right, I'm going to share Jesus. I mean, at times I'm like, God, you better remind me of your undying, uh, what is the word? (laughs) All-encompassing commitment to me because right now I need help so that I can help others believe this. We're preparing you and equipping you. And everything I've just said, this idea of responsibility, this is what I want for Cornerstone. I want it. I want a vibrant group of people that are passionate to get after it. Not because we're martyrs and we think we're great, but because we believe our God is amazing. And so with that, what I'd like to do to close is this. Some of you might be asking the question, well then, Todd, what if I decide not to become a formal member? I promise you we're not going to put a big A on you. Okay? Thank you. Everybody just laugh for me. But, the thing I want you to understand is that while we're not going to mark you with a big A, and we want you to still be a part of our worship services, and you can be involved in various things that we do, there's a huge difference between my kids', come, my kids friends coming over for dinner and my kids being there for dinner. There's a difference between friendship and and family and so as we lay this out while on one level we want you to feel like we're hospitable and you're welcome here i want you to know there is a difference between the two It's that if you decide to be a part of this then we're going to treat you like you're a part of it we want you we're going to we're going to pour a life into you but at the end of it, if you say, you know what, I'm not going to be a part of it, then what you're saying, I think, to us as elders is not that, that you hate us or that we're terrible people or that we don't love you. It just means that what you're saying is, is that i do not not sure if I want to be involved in this. And it's not bad or good, and that's the thing I hope you get out of this, but I want you to think about it. So for, some, for what we're going to do is I'm not giving out membership applications today. I want you to take a week and really ask the question, am I all in? This is this a group of people I'm going to dive in with? Even if you need to take the whole summer, take the whole summer. I, I won't be here for a while anyways. Take your time. Think about it. Ponder it. Pray about it. Ask the question, is this the group that I really want to dive into and join Jesus in what He's doing? If this isn't the group, then tell us. Sad. I hope all of you become a part of it. I, I, you know, I don't sit here today going, oh, you know, I want you know, those people, but not those people. I want all of us to join together. But if this is not the church you want to commit to, then help us by, we'll help you to be able to go out and find a church that you can dive into. I am more passionate about our city knowing Jesus than if you just sit here and don't accomplish anything. I want our city to know Jesus. And so with that in mind, take the summer. If you choose not to, like I said, I promise you you won't have a scarlet letter. We'll still love on you. And that's my heart. Last thing I want to say on behalf of all the elders, and I I always want to say this with absolute passion. We love you. We do. I love this church. But we have a job to do, amen? Father, would you please help us right now? We need your grace. We need your power. God, I beg you that this wouldn't just be a membership talk for us to sit around and do nothing, but that, Father, through the power of your Spirit, you would begin to do amazing work in all of our lives. That you would take the sin that's present in all of us, Father, even though we've been cleansed and washed completely, we still battle the flesh, we still battle the world, we still battle the evil. And, Father, would you, through this, through people committing to one another, would we see sin dealt with? But God, not only that and seeing sin dealt with, would we then see a body that's growing together, that there would be a supernatural love in this body, a love for one another, a love for you most importantly, and that, Father, out of that love, it just spills out into our community, it spills out into our area, it spills out with people leaving here to go to the uttermost ends of the world to be able to share the greatest message ever and plant churches. God, would you do that miracle, I beg you, So while I commit this to you, God, I pray for our leaders here. I pray for our community leaders, our ministry leaders, our elders. God, would you help us to believe that you truly do have an undying, all-encompassing commitment to us. But God, would that then be translated into this body. Would we live believing you are all in? I beg you. I ask these things in your precious son's name. Amen.